It's the Kim Munson Show, analyzing the most important stories. An early childhood taxing district, what on earth is that? The latest in politics and world affairs. I don't think that we should be passing legislation that is so complicated that people kind of throw up their hands and say, oh, I can't understand it. Today's current opinions and ideas. It is not fair that just because you're a big business that you get a break on this and the little guy doesn't. Is it freedom or is it force? Let's have a conversation. Indeed, let's have a conversation and welcome to the Kim Munson Show. Thank you so much for joining us. You're each treasured, valued, you have purpose. Today, strive for excellence, take care of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your body. My friends, we were made for this moment. And thank you to the team I work with. That's producer Steve, producer Luke, Zach, Patty, Keith, Echo, Charlie, all the people here at Crawford Broadcasting. Happy Friday to you, producer Steve. Friday, February 24th. Before you know it, you know what's going to be history. And spring's right around the corner. Okay. It is right around the corner. I'm going to hold you to that because I see what's (laughs) happening on the West Coast right now, and it's not spring. (laughs) It's not spring there. It's that global warming. Oh, yeah. It's that global warming. How's that that working out for you? Uh, Ask the people in Los Angeles, right? I'll tell you, I shoveled my share of global warming this winter. (laughs) (laughs) And there's probably more to come because normally March is your month, and April, sometimes even in May. yeah, so uh, I'm going to ask Alan Thomas. He's in studio. Alan Thomas is an Alan Thomas Friday. It's great to have you here. It's great to be here, Kim. So excited about your piece. We'll roll this out in the, um, uh, um, let's see, email newsletter on Sunday. So if you're not signed up, sign up for that. California and Federalist Number 2. And I have to say, I'm embarrassed. When I asked you what the title was and you said Jay and Federalist Number 2, I'm like, Jay? You're like John Jay, one, one of the authors of The Federalist. I'm like, ah, oh. I was a little embarrassed. <laughs> well, you know, Hamilton wrote most of them, so that's what most people assume yeah. are the author, rightly so, you know. So John Jay had a, had a couple there in the middle, and Madison threw in a couple. But yeah, mostly it was mostly Hamilton. So. Yeah, but we're going to talk about John Jay and what he had to say. Could you imagine the conversations between those guys? Can you just imagine? Wouldn't you love to be a fly on the wall? I, I would have, you know, but I'm glad I wasn't one of the, the few people that submitted an essay to Hamilton and he rejected it. Oh. Yeah. He, he rejected several submissions to be part of the Federalist Papers. So. I have a feeling that yours would make it. Uh, I don't you're, know. You're they they, they wrote amazing. on a level that was, that was beyond <laughs> me. You're really, uh, you're really de- developing into a pretty amazing writer. Well, thank you, Kim. I appreciate it. Yeah. And so we'll be rolling that out. We'll talk about that in the third and fourth segment. Second segment, as you all know, uh, we have been uh, highlighting the uh, candidates for the Colorado State GOP chairmanship. And today we'll talk with Tina Peters in the second segment. And we've got something amazing. Somehow, it's Colonel Rutledge is going to be in our second hour. And I know you really want to meet him. I do, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this will be the third or fourth show that we've happened to be on the same day. How did that happen? That's just, uh, it's a divine wink, I think is what that is. But we're going to be talking about Washington. He wanted to talk about George Washington and his military career. And I think people are going to find out some things that they didn't know. And George Washington's birthday was on February 22nd. And so we decided we would do that uh, in in the week with that. So it's going to be pretty great. That'll be perfect. He's a... Somebody you can't study enough, I think. That's right. And I said to Colonel Rutledge yesterday, I said, are you 93 or 94? He says, I'm 94. I'll be 95, I think, in July. 
Um, but, oh, my gosh, she's so well-read. So that's going to be great as well. Check out the website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Sign up for our weekly email newsletter. As I mentioned, you can email me at Kim at Kim Munson dot com as well. And uh, our text line, I will get that for you here in just a second. I do not have that memorized. But our new text line as well. America's Veterans Stories is this Sunday, 3 to 4 p.m. We are rebroadcasting the interview with Ted Gostas. It is a powerful interview. He's a Vietnam veteran and Vietnam POW, and he passed on at the end of January. And I thought in honor of Ted that we would rebroadcast that. You will not want to miss that. Again, that's 3 to 4 p.m. this Sunday. So our quote for today is, it's very appropriate to go to George Washington. And uh, he's a and actually, you should read his farewell address. We should probably do a show on that one of these days. We probably you know, should. Yeah. It's a very powerful address. Yes. George Washington, also called the father of our country, was born February 22 in 1732, uh, died in 1799. Uh, he was an American general and commander-in-chief of the colonial armies in our American Revolution and subsequently the first president of the United States. And, Steve, this is kind of for you. This is for everybody that is so concerned about all that's happening in our country right now. It's probably not new, uh, but he said this, truth will ultimately prevail where there are pains taken to bring it to light. And that's what we do all the time is working on that, Alan. Yeah, you know, it's it's one of those things the founders believe that truth is absolute and it can be found and discovered. It can be. And you have to have a lot of intellectual curiosity to make that happen, Producer Steve. Uh, something that is in in great uh, shortage or you know not certainly abundant right now is intellectual curiosity. So, yeah, bring it on. We're working on it. But nothing is new. If George Washington was saying that back during his life, It's nothing's new. Everything is the same. And I was talking yesterday, Alan, with uh, somebody concerned about our country. And I I said, and people not paying attention, but it only takes a remnant of people that are pulling back and looking at the truth that can make a difference. It is, yes. You know, and the reason is human nature is the same throughout history. I mean, you you look at... You, you look at what uh, Shakespeare wrote and how it can echo today and how they he ma- were making movies about what he wrote. And you can just see the strands of human nature through everything that's been written. And that's why we study mm-hmm. all of these classic literature is because we want to see and discover who we actually are and our tendencies, our proclivities, and where we might err to go to one side and where it's best for us to try and find, you know, courage and, and all that's good about human nature. But you know, that's that's different than what leftists believe today. And multiculturalism is not a fan of thinking that your human nature is the same across all cultures, relations, and people. And and, and that's why we're having a, a low amount of truth in, in our culture today. And like you said, we just need to peel back that barrier, show people who we actually are and why this government is suited for that human nature. Absolutely. And <clears throat> that's why we do the show. And again, uh, this essay that you've written is going to be, um, you know, what did I do with that? I've got everything over. I'm a paper person, obviously. <laughs> and uh, that will be Californian Federalist number two. <clears throat> Let's get over here to the bill of the day. Uh, if I remember right, one of the things of the federal government is um, that they're supposed to do is 
take care of our borders. And uh, here in Denver, Denver's, uh, I think it's number one in crime now. Uh, we're number one. And you know why? It's because of radical activist Democrats that, that have taken over the Democrat Party. Alan, this is not the Democrat Party of JFK or your grandpa or your grandma. This has been hijacked by cultural Marxists is what's going on. Yeah, I mean, if you read JFK's <clears throat> inaugural speech, you would think a conservative wrote it today. <laughs> and maybe we should maybe we should do a show on that, too. <laughs> maybe we should. We, we've got the rest of the year totally planned. <laughs> but this is House Bill 23-1100, Representatives uh, Ricks, uh, Democrat, Garcia, Democrat, and Senators uh, Waquez Lewis, Democrat, and Gonzalez, Democrat. And it says the United States, this is the bill summary, the United States Immigration and Customs Enforcement, the federal agency responsible for overseeing and implementing policies related to immigration detention, contracts out a portion of its detention capacity to state and local governments. State and local governments may then subcontract with prisons or immigration detention facilities that are owned, managed, or operated by private entities to house or detain individuals for federal civil immigration purposes. Beginning on January 1, the bill prohibits the state and any local government in the state entity from entering into an agreement with the private entity, uh, selling any government-owned property for the purpose of establishing an immigration detention facility, paying any costs, receiving any payment, giving financial incentives. You can go and read all that. Uh, that's, uh, again, House Bill 23-1100. And it seems to me like it's probably trying to neuter the federal government on detention of those coming into our country illegally. And this is not uh, what the way it's supposed to be. And uh, it'll probably steamroll through. But once again, uh, we wonder why we are having so much crime here in Denver. And it's because there is a pipeline right up I-25 from the border. And then we've got uh, people down at the state house that are um, facilitating uh, that all, all of that uh, illegal immigration here. And uh, I, I actually, you know, I like, I know they like to say that this is a, a thing about race. It's not about race. People that are in um, all these different communities, black communities, Hispanic communities, uh, suburbs, urban, they really like to have safe communities. And that's what we need to be working towards. And we know that there we know that there's some people that are coming here for the American dream. There's some people coming here for free stuff. There's some people coming here to hurt us. And we need to figure out what what that is exactly. And this is uh, probably going to try to neuter the um, the uh, uh, federal feds on regarding that detention here. And so that's so that's that. Uh, let's see one other headline. You know what? I think let's go ahead and. Um, I think I want to get over here. We've got Tina Peters on the line. She is running for state GOP chair. Oh, I know. I was going to tell you a story. That's what I was going to tell you is what I get to do today. And that is, is I'm headed down to Pueblo to um, meet Drew Dix, who is a Medal of Honor recipient, interviewed him. It's a powerful story. During the Tet Offensive, uh, they found out that a an American nurse that lived down by the hospital, that uh, the hospital had been overrun. They didn't know if she was alive or if she was dead. And he, he got some guys together. He said, let's go get Maggie. And they did. And he rescued 14 people, I think, that during that 56 hours, I think it was, I think. And... Um, he received the Medal of Honor for that. And so we're going to go down to the Center for American Values, which uh, they honor all of our Medal of Honor recipients. And I get to ride down with um, Henry Jones, who uh, used to be in charge of uh, security for all the dignitaries that came in at, at DIA, and Mrs. Joe Anello, who he has 
has really taken under is taking care of her and her husband um, was uh, received I can't remember if it's silver or bronze star uh, during the Korean War and his friend Hershey it's an amazing story and I was hoping to get him on and he passed on at the end of uh, December but during one of the battles Hershey carried Joe on his back to get him out of the battle and so I'll be and and Henry has really become friends with Mrs. Anello and uh, so I this is going to be a day I can't even tell you I'm so excited about it Alan I, I can tell you're <laughs> so excited Kevin you should be I mean these these are extraordinary individuals and and you just hope when your character is tested like theirs was that you could react in the that, way they did. That you will step up and do what they did, yes. And God willing, we won't have to be in that situation. Uh, but the show comes to you because these great uh, sponsors of mine, and one of those is the Roger Mangan State Farm Insurance Team. Roger knows that life can be challenging. It's the Mangan's team's mission to maximize your financial security. As you manage the risks of everyday life, call Roger Mangan at 303-795-8855 for more information. Like a good neighbor, Roger Mangan's team is there. Great news. I just got the State Farm Personal Price Plan on our home and auto insurance. You told our agent about my thing for romance novels? No, you don't have to get that personal. Our agent just helped me choose affordable options to create a personalized price just for us. Oh, sweet. Then you won't believe the love triangle Jen is in now. Prices vary by state. Options selected by customer. Availability and eligibility may vary. Three Points Financial, a comprehensive, fee-only financial and tax-focused company, considers all the pieces of a client's financial life. There are no sales or commissions involved, and all advice is fiduciary, putting the client first. Mary Alpers and Steve Cruz, co-owners of Three Points Financial, take time to work with you regarding decisions that affect your financial present and future. Whatever is happening in our world and with our economy, you have financial goals that matter. And Three Points Financial offers personal, real-time plans for savings, retirement, investments, and taxes, both tax efficiency and preparation. There is no better time than now to focus on your financial situation. If you are interested in learning more, contact ThreePointsFinancial.com to schedule a no-obligation introductory call. It's Friday! It is Friday, and welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I'm Kim Munson. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly email newsletter there, and you can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. Our new text line is 720-605-0647. 720-605-0647. It is an Alan Thomas Friday. He's in studio. We'll be talking with him about his latest essay, California and Federalist Number 2, in segments 3 and 4. On the line with me is Tina Peters. You know her. She is a former Mesa County Clerk and Recorder, a candidate for a Secretary of State uh, over in the Republican side, and she is throwing her hat in the ring for Colorado State GOP Chair. Tina, Pe- and Tina Peters, welcome to the show. Good morning, Kim. How are you this morning? Doing very well. How's that global warming working out for you, Tina? It's uh, I think it's like five degrees out right now. Oh, my goodness. I know it. Spring is right around the corner, though. That's the good news. It it is. It is. So let's get to it, Tina. Um, You're running for Colorado State GOP chair. The question is why? You know, Kim, that's a great question. You know, um, when I I looked at, uh, I'm an America First uh, initiative all across the country. So we have a coalition uh, that we meet every week. 
And these are people that ran for Secretary of State. Uh, some of them were obviously cheated out of their races, as was I. Uh, we see what's going on in the country. And, um, you know, we're able to compare. I'll, I'll just give you a good example what happened in El Paso County, uh, where the GOP chair comes in and brings in a, a bylaw infraction, supposedly, and tries to remove a sitting chair that's been elected by the people. And this was, this was happening here in El Paso County, the largest county in Colorado. It, w- it was happening at, at the Mountain Republicans, happening at happening uh, in Adams County, and it's happening all over the United States, Kim. You know, we're able to compare what is going on, and these are not isolated incidents uh, of the takeover. And as you know, uh, in our state, we have a a, a Democrat governor, Democrat legislature, and uh, an AG, and, uh, you know, there's... You know, if anyone has seen Selection Code, you can go to selectioncode.com. There's something not right, and people know it. They know that uh, the elections, there's something going on with that. And so I, I look at this as the last-ditch effort to save Colorado, and that's why I stepped up. I was looking, you know, as part of the Save Colorado uh, project, we were vetting people to run for GOP chair, and finally, I said, I've just got to do it. And I did the same thing for Secretary of State. It just came to the point where I looked at the uh, candidates in the Republican primary, and I said, I have to step up. You know, um, this is it. This is it, Kim. Well, and there's some big issues, Tina. And uh, I'm asking all the candidates these questions. The first thing is regarding having Democrats vote in Democrat par- uh, primaries and Republicans vote in Republican primaries. So closing the primaries so that occurs. Where do you stand on that, Tina Peters? Well, this is this is my agenda. We have to close the primaries. Uh, you know, we cannot, we have to have Republicans only voting in Republican primaries. And we need to protect the caucus. You know, uh, uh, some of the candidates are for changing the caucus. And this is, this was created a system created in 1910 to limit the power of party bosses and ensure that citizen politicians have the opportunity to participate. You know, if, if you do away with the the caucus and uh, and keep this primary open, you're you're just flooding in people that do not have the uh, the Republican Party platform values and ideals. Uh, uh, taking over the party, and we have to stop that. Okay, and I, I think you highlighted that, but the next question was uh, the caucus assembly process. Uh, there's Senate Bill, and I'll ask you about, well, I guess we can talk about it now, Senate Bill 23101, <clears throat> which would basically get rid of the caucus assembly process. Uh, it, it, it would gut it. And um, actually, I was so surprised that there was um, – it's uh, sponsored by Republicans. It's sponsored by Senate, uh, by uh, Barbara Kirkmeyer, Senator uh, out of Weld County, Bob Gardner um, out of El Paso County, and Mary Bradfield over on the representative side. And uh, it basically would gut the, the assembly caucus process. So your comments on that, Tina? Well, as you know, I went through the assembly. I did not – as my opponent uh, did, I did not pay someone to go out and get signatures. I believe that you need to talk to the people that you're going to be representing. 
And um, so, <laughs> you know, when you when you do away with with this very system that allows any individual, any citizen, to step up and run for office and be elected by the people that actually choose them, and you turn it around to whoever has the most money to go out and collect votes. You know, the vendors are the ones that win, and the people are the ones that lose. So that's, you know, that's a, a terrible uh, idea. It's, you know, and, and as we know, not everyone that says they're a Republican is actually a Republican. So you have to question their values and their motives when you see a bill like this being introduced. Now, it did die in committee. Uh, and so that's a good thing. But I'm hearing rumblings that <clears throat> that there may be some big money that's going to be out there to try to run a ballot initiative on this, Tina. Have you heard that? Well, and, you know, that's that's a good point, Kim, because, you know, when you're talking about big money, I mean, I had I had someone come to me and tell me that uh, the reason that I would have to be a never Trumper if I was going to run for uh, GOP chair was because. Uh, the, uh, the the big money, some of the big money that was backing uh, some Republicans said that they do better in the Biden economy. And to me, that that is not honest. That's not transparent. That's not the GOP values that we represent. And, um, you know, we cannot let big money bosses and special interests control uh, the citizens and the and the uh uh, GOP chairmanship that we uh, we hold dear. You know, you, you can look at the failed uh, leadership uh, in the past GOP chair. You know, I want to get down and help the local uh, local chairs in the 64 counties. I want to bring in people don't trust the GOP chair uh, position any longer because and so they give their money to the uh, candidates instead of the GOP, I want to know, I want to do an audit. Where did the money go, the $4 million that the uh, uh, the, G- the RNC gave the uh, Colorado GOP? But, you know, the other thing, too, Kim, is we have to ensure election integrity. You know, as you know, I've been fighting for election integrity for a long time. And we have to be able to uh, have trust in our election process. And, you know, my, my actions as the Mason County clerk revealed that the election system was hijacked and we've lost the ballot box. And so now we have to go to the jury box. So as the chairman, the first thing I will do is to terminate the retainer agreement with the Brownstein law firm. You cannot have uh, a attorney law firm representing the GOP at also Dominion voting system. Okay. Uh, you know. Yeah. Okay. Uh, two. Well, several more questions, and I think you're hi- uh, mentioning this, but what about cleaning up the voter rolls? We've got uh, mail-in ballots that are flying all over the state. Well, you know, it's interesting. You know, there's there's no no one running for GOP chair that knows more about election uh, integrity, and we can't just clean up the voter rolls because it's you know the um, we've been sued. Jenna Griswold was sued for dirty voter rolls. You know. And many states, this has happened, and then they turn around, they clean them up, and they turn around, and they're dirty again. We have to completely eliminate the voter rolls. We have to. My uh, position as Secretary of State was to completely gut the voter rolls and have the citizens come in, give them a four-month period, three-month period to come in and register again. Show your ID. Go to your clerk recorder's office in your county. 
register to vote. If you want to vote in, in, in the election, the upcoming election, you need to go in and register to vote. You know, in Colorado, in this state, it takes two federal election cycles to get someone off the voter rolls. So that's... Well, and I actually, I actually know that, that that doesn't happen, that uh, actually people do yeah. still get, get ballots on that. I know that for sure. Next question, ballot harvesting. Uh, the, and it's not just about getting people to vote, but it's the ballots that are so important. And uh, I, many people say that we need to ballot harvest. It's legal. I wish it wasn't legal here in Colorado. But what's your position on ballot harvesting? Well, we do need a better outreach. That, that, and you see President uh, Trump talking about that, you know, that we have got to get better at, uh, at ballot harvesting. We need to go knocking on doors and uh, talking to people. I, I remember in 2016 when I went to a <laughs> – this is how I got into to politics. I went to uh, a volunteer meeting, a GOP volunteer meeting. I looked around. I was one of eight people there, and I went, oh, my gosh. We cannot let that woman get into the White House. And I started walking. And it was interesting because people, uh, you know, uh, people care. I don't care if you're Democrat, Republican, unaffiliated. You care about your children, your way of life, your freedom. But I was able to turn Republicans, I mean, uh, Democrats to Republicans, you know, because the values. And I think that... um, we just need to really get out and talk to each other. Okay. And um, and we stand for the same values. There's a lot of Democrats that are coming over to the Republican Party, and I know this because um, I'm seeing it happen across the country with our America First Coalition. And um, so we do need to get out and start talking to people, um, giving them, uh, you know, increase their, because they've lost the trust in the voting system, we need to start regaining that trust and we need to get out and start talking to them and that comes with training the uh sgop chair training the uh the pcps uh the precinct committee uh persons and the uh uh, district captains and the caucus members okay Okay. they need to know what to do next question uh uh, you have been under fire uh and uh, have some trials coming up where's the what's the status on that tina peters you know, it's interesting. Anyone that is in the fire that's exposing, in, 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 in my case, I've exposed the election fraud. So I've, I've exposed that Jenna Griswold and uh, Dominion Voting Systems deleted 29,000 election records. And I've exposed, like never before, that there are wireless devices. There were 36 in the, um, in the Mesa County election system. And so... You know, they're, yeah, they're co- they're coming after me because they want to shut me up. But what they don't realize, as a cancer survivor and a gold star mom, you know, that that lost my son at 27, you know, I <laughs> the same blood that ran through his veins runs through my veins. And if we're going to save this country, we have to stand up and stop being afraid. Um, so they they are going. Look at President Trump and look at Steve Bannon. You know, they, they threatened him with impeachment, throwing them in jail, um, you know, those kind of things. You cannot be afraid of what the enemy is going to do to you. And that's the type of weaponization that our, uh, our corrupt uh, Department of Justice and FBI wields against people that want to stand up and stand out and speak out. 
And uh, so they keep kicking the can down the road. Uh, you know, it's if there is going to be uh, anything that's going to come of this, it'll be later in the uh, in the fall. Um, basically, they have I'm, they have nothing against me. Um, you know, all I did was preserve election records, uh, expose their crimes, and how they're they're flipping uh, elections. And so, uh, people that have not read the Mesa County reports, you can find them on my website, TinaPetersForColorado.com. Uh, you can also watch the movie Selection Code uh, at SelectionCode.com. These leaders are being selected, not elected. Okay. And so people need to be, become informed. Uh, you can't listen to the mainstream media. You can pretty much be sure if they're going after patriots, they're doing something right. So okay. I won't stand down. I, will, I won't uh, be silent. We okay. have to expose what's going on. And on the text line, we had a, a question come in. Please ask Tina in what ways her GOP would support school board candidates. Oh, my goodness. Uh, school board candidates, well, <laughs> it's interesting because when you see that uh, the, uh, you know, the, I didn't believe that there was anything wrong with our elections until a local city council election. And um, so it, I put so much pressure by exposing what I exposed. They, uh, my, in Mesa County, they actually hand-counted the ballots, and I told the school, school board candidates, I said, you won't have anything to worry about uh, in this election. But that's the, that's the fight that we're fighting. We have to uh, protect our election system and make it more transparent. Because, you know, people can run for office all they want, but if the elections aren't secure and fair, you're, you, you're going to have trouble getting, especially with the school, with the, uh, the teachers union. Mm-hmm. So we have to become aware that this is happening. Watch selectioncode.com, um, understand, and, you know, we have to get out in mass and start um, and start making our voice heard. So I'll just say this, with um, in, and, and this has to do with whether you're a school board candidate or, or any kind of candidate. You know, I was at the Capitol uh, speaking out against the uh, wireless devices in the uh, election equipment. And, you know, you would think that's a no-brainer because it's, it's against the law in Colorado to have uh, systems that connect to the Internet uh, at all. And we couldn't even get the uh, right. There was a piece of legislation to uh, to make sure right. that 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 we didn't have that, and that actually did not pass. That's just kind of amazing. Tina Peters, uh, thank you. How can people get more information about you? You can go to my website at tinapetersforcolorado.com, dot uh, com, and my email is tina at tinapetersforcolorado.com. dot dot com. You can follow me on Telegram, Twitter. Truth Social at Real Tina Peters, and I have a show on Badlands Media uh, every Monday night. Last, my first show last Monday night, uh, there were sixty thousand views. So um, I interviewed Sheriff Mack last Monday night, and I always have uh, a citizen, a patriot that's doing something great. So that's on Badlands Media, and uh, uh, the Tina Peters show at nine p.m. Eastern. Seven Mountain. Okay. Tina Peters, thank you so much. And uh, that election will be on March 11th. So, Tina Peters, thank you. Have a great day. You bet. Thank you, Kim. Thank you, everyone out there. God bless. God bless you, too. And uh, my friends, we have got to get our intellectual curiosity going. And uh, a great place to do that is at IPAC-EDU.
What do Albert Einstein, Thomas Edison, and Nikola Tesla have in common? None of these men graduated from college, but each of them had enormous intellectual curiosity. Scientist Dr. James Lyons Weiler is creating a new kind of educational model for the busy, intellectually curious. IPAC EDU. Classes are affordable and interactive, and experts in each of their fields with courses in biology, philosophy, analytics, health and wellness, political science, chemistry, regenerative science, and psychology. There is a spring 2023 course for you. Dash over to ipacedu.org, ipac-edu.org for more information and to register. That's ipac-edu.org. Homeownership, a place to call your own, has created wealth for Coloradans throughout the years. Award-winning realtor Karen Levine with REMAX Alliance understands the importance of homeownership. Karen Levine works tirelessly at the local, county, state, and national levels to protect your property rights. With nearly 30 years' experience as a Colorado realtor, Karen Levine will help you navigate the metro real estate market, whether you're buying your home, selling your home, considering a new build, or exploring investment properties. Call Karen at 303-877-7516. That's 303-877-7516 for answers to all your real estate needs. You'd like to get in touch with one of the sponsors of The Kim Munson Show, but you can't remember their phone contact or website information. Find a full list of advertising partners on Kim's website, KimMunson.com. That's Kim, M-O-N-S-O-N, dot com. It is Friday. Welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. That is Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Sign up for our weekly email newsletter. And you can email me at Kim at Kim Munson dot com as well. And Alan, I mentioned I'm going to go down to the Center for American Values today and meet Drew Dix, who is a Medal of Honor recipient. And it makes me think about the USMC Memorial Foundation. And Paula Sarles and her team are raising money to do the remodel. And uh, a great thing that you can do, Mother's Day, Father's Day is coming up, is to buy a brick or something for birthday, uh, to buy a brick to honor your military service or your loved one's military service. And that brick will be on one of the, the walkways and a great way to support the, the endeavor. And you can do that. You can buy the brick at usmcmemorialfoundation.org. That's usmcmemorialfoundation.org. But um, again, spring's right around the corner, Mother's Day, Father's Day. Uh, so think about that. So it's a great, great way to, to honor them. Let's get over here to your essay, California and Federalist Number 2. So it was written by John Jay. It was, yes. He actually had a, a whole, I think like three or four in a row where he was calling for basically the the unity of the states into one federal government. And that is the beauty of America, is all these different states. Um, but so why was he, con- you, you titled this California and Federalist Number 2. Well, you know, Federalist Number 2 is, is often kind of overlooked. You know, some of, the, some of the Federalist papers don't get as much attention just because they were written in a different time for a different people. You know, at this point in time, uh, the states were... Um, very separate, you know, at the same time. The Articles of Confederation really kept their sovereignties very separate. There was no teeth in the the Articles of the Confederation to, to allow a government to do what it needed to do. And, and this group of 
Federalist Papers really was trying to convince the the different states to unite under one federal government because there was a big push to either keep them as separate sovereignties or to divide into three or four different confederation of states. And so, you know, since they're written in a different time period, they kind of get overlooked, but there's some there's some really good good points and, and really good wisdom that we can pull out of different Federalist Papers, even though they weren't they aren't directly applicable today. You know, obviously, we don't really have to worry about the all of the states uniting under one federal government. We already have it. Mm-hmm. You know, so we don't that part of the Federalist Paper, we don't really have to pay attention to. But he makes some excellent points about just state unity and why it's why it's beneficial. And, and I think in Federalist three or four, he he really talks about the states as if they are almost like people, that they have interests, they, they have jealousy. There's um, very personified states in, in how he writes. And so um, I wanted to kind of take some of that wisdom from Federalist Number 2 and apply it to what we're seeing between some of the states today because obviously, you know, with California, Florida, a lot of the Democrat-run states – they're getting very factious. They're getting very divisive and really going after the Texases, the Floridas, in what they're doing. And, and what can we... And, and how so? Well, okay. So the, the first one is, you know, the point that California is basically declaring an all-out war on diesel, right? Um, right. San Francisco ports and rails are not allowing, uh, you know, diesel truckers to come in. They're, they're making a big push that only they will only want EV big rigs to go on and that doesn't make any sense it doesn't make any sense i mean you're going to have these massive transfer state you're going to have a electric truck that'll go and then they'll make this transfer station at the border of california and nevada and switch over to a diesel that way they can go all the way across the country it it makes no sense but it's the it's the ideological push of california to get rid of diesel you know they're banning any any pre-2010 motors in the state of California. California itself is telling federal agencies and uh, quote-unquote high-priority fleets to transfer to EV by 2042. And, you know, one of the points they make in the Federalist paper is the reason we should unite is because we have this mutual exchange and transport of commodities. That's what makes us a united country is this ability to go from state to state and be able to conduct business, to trade, to to provide aid to one another. And when you have a state that is so ideologically driven, they're they're creating this enmity between different states and they're in between businesses, right? Like if a business looks at doing business in California, if you know, a landlocked state like Colorado relies on the ports mm-hmm. of California to get goods in from foreign countries. Well, you're creating this jealousy and this enmity, and people are looking at California like, why are you forcing me to do this? Why do I? Why can't I just conduct business? Why can't I do trade in your state? And that's not beneficial to the national unity. Uh, and I'm thinking of the general general welfare cl- uh, clause. They are actually, and and I think maybe that's why the general welfare clause was put in is that 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 we need to make sure that policy is for the general for the whole country and so this and uh, i actually i talked to john eastman about this who is a constitutional expert and we've and uh, i i used this when i was on city council for my no vote 
on the Southeast Light Rail extension that was um, part of it was going to be built with a whole bunch of federal money. And I, I didn't I didn't think that was right. And what he said was that they put in the general welfare clause so that we had the welfare of the whole country. He said that I can't remember which president, but I think he vetoed um, money to go to the Cumberland Gap for a road because he said that was just for that region and that region needed to pay for that. But yet uh, okayed money for the light lighthouses on the eastern seaboard because that commerce coming in was for the general welfare of the whole country. Hmm. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, that that's exactly you know, the point that he's kind of making in Federalist Summer 2. Like, yeah, you know, there's there's things that are beneficial to us as a country, you know, and, and you, especially when you go back in the day when they really were just on the eastern seaboard, all mm-hmm. the states were there. You didn't have these landlocked states like Kentucky, Tennessee, uh-huh. Colorado. So, of course, that, that makes much more sense. But, yeah, it's it's very much so, hey, you know, you can take care of your local issues in your mm-hmm. state, but as a whole, we need to act like a whole. We need to act like, hey, you know, we're different pieces of a whole in, in different parts. And when one piece of that whole is starts to get pretty contentious, well, then that's going to affect the unity of all the different states. And and that's really what he was trying to say. And, and the other great point that he makes in Federalist Number 2 is, hey, you know what? When we went to war, we banded together as one country. You know, when we made treaties with, with France and, and when we tried to you know, band together to protect our, our unity. We did it as a country, but politicians have a very unique way of trying to divide us because that helps their <laughs> their political career. Yeah. And, and you see that you see that now. I mean the the governor of California is taking out political ads in Florida. I mean that doesn't make sense, right? So there's a lot to be gained by politicians by dividing us into different pieces and different parts. And one way to do that is to create this jealousy to become unsocial towards your other states and towards people who live in those other states. But California has been making terrible decisions regarding um, their finances, their policy. But yet they are happy to take federal money which is money from everybody else and also money from our kids and grandkids that's being borrowed. Uh, but they're happy to take that money. And th- th- so what do you think about that? Well, that's, that's actually the second point. Uh, <laughs> second main point of the article is the exit tax that they're trying to, to enforce on high net worth individuals and businesses that are trying to leave the state. They're trying to retroactively tax them. So, um, you know, I, I think this absolutely will be challenged and constitutionally I just don't see how it could be enforced because exactly they're they're trying to say hey you're taking your business out of our state and if you're going to do that we're going to punish you monetarily and that that goes a hundred percent against everything that the Federalist Papers were for that the Founding Fathers were for you were supposed to have this freedom and mobility between the states you should be able to freely choose what state serves your own best interests and move your friend your family your business to wherever you want to and California is trying to fund their ideological ideologically driven bankruptcy by trying to contain all these high net worth individuals and businesses within their state to keep funding their own welfare ideas and it's it's 
like you know, I love the word they use in the the Federalist Papers: unsocial behavior. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's an understatement. That's for sure. This is so fascinating, and the show comes to you because a lot of great sponsors, and one of those is Roots Medical, and of course Matt Dark with Roots Medical has his own radio show Monday through Thursday, nine to ten, right here on KLZ five sixty, and uh, we had Dr. Rachel Corbett on yesterday, which was super interesting. But Roots Medical, getting to the root of your health. That's R O O T S Roots Medical. Every family needs a healthcare team that has your child's best interest as the priority, and Roots Medical is proud to offer exactly that. At Roots Medical, we strive to empower and educate both parent and child about the importance of gut health, how to implement healthy changes in the home, and of course, all of the benefits that come with a fully optimized immune system. Same day and sickness appointments are available and easy to schedule. For more information, visit rootsmedical.net. That's R O O T S medical.net. Roots Medical, getting to the root of your healthcare concerns. Inflation is rocking our boats, especially for individuals on fixed incomes. If you are 62 years or older, mortgage specialist with Polygon Financial Group, Lauren Levy, can help you navigate this inflation squeeze with a reverse mortgage. Additionally, if you are considering buying a new home, refinancing your existing home, or consolidating high interest debt, it's not too late to lock in an interest rate before interest rates increase again. Don't wait. Kim Munson recommends you call Lauren Levy today at 303-880-8881 for a no-cost consultation. That's Lauren Levy at 303-880-8881. Franktown is a family-friendly gun store and are invested in the success of their customers, no matter what your age, gender, or experience level is. Franktown sells firearms and ammo at or below MSRP, has an indoor range on site, and offers tactical and safety training. Franktown Firearms is always a safe and easygoing environment for all customers. Come to Franktown for a comfortable, no-pressure experience when shopping or learning about your firearm with approachable experts dedicated to your development as the owner of a firearm. Franktown Firearms has everything you need to get started and or to improve on any background experience. Visit klzradio.com slash franktown to schedule your firearms training today or find more information at franktownfirearms.com. Franktown Firearms, where friends are made. It is Friday. Welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I'm Kim Munson. Be sure and check out our website. That is Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly email newsletter. You'll get first look at our upcoming guests as well as our most recent essays. And Alan Thomas's uh, essay, California and Federalist Number 2, will be in there. You can email me at Kim at Kim Munson.com as well. And our, um, let's see, I've got it. Our text line is 720-605-0647. Uh, so California is misbehaving. And they, um, I, I can, it's almost, I would think, I'm thinking it's almost like they have the Berlin Wall that they're building there, except it's a virtual wall instead of a actual physical wall. And they, they probably would be interested in, in taxing Republican states for doing business with them. They, they'd probably be interested in a wall internally, yeah. but of course not along the Mexican border. Of course not. Of course not. So they're, they're misbehaving. Uh, this exit tax uh, and I'm thinking about like the Daily Wire. All those guys moved out of mm-hmm. of California, I think, to Tennessee and Florida. Yeah, and I Florida. Think Shapiro went to Florida. Yeah, I think, yeah. yeah. And so, what, what? You know, and that's that's kind of the interesting part is you know California is using their large economy and population to try and cudgel other states into adopting their ideologies. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you force a 
big rig operator to convert to an EV truck to just to do business in California, well, he's naturally going to have to have an electric truck in every other state that that mm-hmm. he's passing through. And you know, I've I've heard lots of things on the right, like, well, you know, maybe we should just let California be California, and the rest of us can just operate in peace. You know, let's let these Democrat states have their own, you know ideas and we'll wall them off and we'll be our own separate state and that just doesn't work right i mean and that was the point of this entire federalist paper is if you break into separate confederacies you're going to have this issue magnified tenfold you know if you let if you let texas and and all the southern states create their own republican sanctuary and create their own confederacy down there well this unsocial behavior is only going to get worse because the differences in the factions and the opinions will only create a larger divide and you're going to naturally start to um well you know they said you're going to eventually go to war over this because you're not united by the same country so you know having this divisive thought of well they're so crazy we should just let california you know have their own economy collapse let's let them go bankrupt it that doesn't work either because they're part of our union you know they're part of our uh republican federal government so what happens to California has a ripple effect across all the states in our union, and, and we need to really protect that that unity. And also by realizing that, yeah, they're promulgating the wrong ideology, so we need to fight the war of ideas uh, to try and help California become more of a social state and become welcome in our 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 well, country once again. Well, and let's talk about the federal government don't like, well two things first of all colorado i think that we we are trying to follow california on all of this crazyville stuff now the fact that jared polis wants to run for president uh, he's not pushed forward all of that yet but i think that the standards that california has on emissions uh, i think colorado has adopted those or can adopt those those things that they're doing so Colorado's not far behind. No, no, we're not at all. I'm not quite sure how you're going to get a big rig electric truck over the mountains. I just don't know how that's going to happen. I don't either. But, you know, that's the that's the craziness of, you know, the, the Founding Fathers did allow states a lot of power. You know, we've talked about mm-hmm. that on this show before. Of They allowed the states to, to have this power. They, they enumerated the powers of the federal government. But to the states, they largely left them open to do what they will. But they did add the caveat, you know. It's the Spider-Man saying, right? With great power comes great responsibility. Mm-hmm. And just because you're a state can do something, just because a state can regulate emissions from vehicles, doesn't mean that they should. Doesn't mm-hmm. mean that it's wise. Doesn't mean that it's prudent. And they said you need to, even though states have a large amount of power, they need to be wise about what they're doing. And, and, and you need to be prudent in the power that you wield. Well, and then the other thing, federal dollars. The, I don't think the founders ever they I mean this I think Jefferson was was um, very concerned about the federal government having so much power, but the the money is um, if a state wants to make their decisions, it's like having a child they they need to be responsible for those decisions, but yet it's like they make these bad decisions and then they're over there going, "Hey, mom and dad, I want more money, and you know you've got the little brother or sister over here that's behaving themselves and and uh, I think the the founders probably 
saw that there could be a real problem with this. Well, they, they knew money was a very divisive issue. They, they actually pointed out that the number one cause of factions is the disparity of money and property, right? They, they knew from the very beginning that if you could use money to get votes, yeah, politicians were going to want to do that. And, and that was why they created the checks and balances the way that they did. And they probably did anticipate that that would be an issue and they created a, a check for it but you know since the founding we've we've come very far from what they envisioned and and you're absolutely right using the federal government to to buy the state's loyalty to to buy a state's vote you know and that's that's also some of what happens in our federal government today you have all this fat you have all this uh legislatures go in saying hey guys look I got all this federal money to fund this project in our state or this project in our mm-hmm. county. And that absolutely is something that goes completely in line with human nature of, of politicians wanting to increase their power, to aggrandize themselves, to make themselves famous and to look good. And that's just so unvirtuous to what the founding fathers wanted. They wanted a people that was self-reliant and they envisioned that for the states as well. They wanted the states to be self-reliant, to not have to rely on the federal government. And in large part, they thought that was what was going to happen, right? They thought the states would want to keep their own sovereignty. They thought states would not want to hand that much power to the federal government. And in large part, we've lost that because the federal government has bribed the states into taking their money. And now our budgets are based on that. But California, in a way, is trying to act like that they're uh, sovereign, but they're very unsocial how they're doing that. And that's what Jay was concerned about, yes? Right, right. It was, hey, are you going to be good neighbors? Like, you need to be wise and prudent neighbors to your to your neighboring states because you rely on them, right? There was this, there was this idea of mutual exchange and, and free commodity exchange. So they, you know, he was saying, you know, you can say that you're great, California, and you have these great ports and you have this great economy, but you do rely on the other states to support that economy, uh-huh. right? There's a lot of trade and commerce that flows across your borders into other states. And so you need to watch out in what you do, because if you're not friendly to other states, well, they may not want to start doing business with you. Businesses might make business decisions and say, we're not doing anything in California. Like, like you said, like the Daily Wire, like a lot of like Tesla is moving out. A lot of these big companies are moving out because they're saying, hey, your taxes are unwieldy. We just can't. This is a business decision. We can't do business in your state anymore. And that was what Jay was warning is, hey, when you get unsocial, when you start doing things you shouldn't, People should be allowed to move and make decisions about your policy with their feet. And those PBIs in California, people are leaving like this, and they're saying, oh, then we want to do an exit tax. Instead of an exit tax, maybe they should take a look at their policies and uh, have more reasonable policies. Correct, Alan? Yeah, but you know, Kim, that, that reason doesn't play very well on a political stage. They rely on inflaming the passions. They They rely on getting votes and the best way to get votes is to tell people you're going to take care of them and time and time again this is proven to be true and so yes you know we can sit back and say hey logically what you're doing doesn't make sense logically what we're doing here in Colorado doesn't make sense for for a lot of the ideological ideas that we're passing on but that idea only works if you can appeal to people to use their reason 
to and not to give in to emotion and that's a hard hard ask when when you have an unvirtuous citizenry like we have today right and the media that we have as well and media yeah so we've got about a minute your final thought so i guess my final thought is just you know um we need to the only way to get past this is to begin uniting again you know making divisive statements is is great to arouse the passions to arouse your your emotions but that doesn't help us as a country to to want to divide so we need to come alongside california and we need to try and help show them how to better run their state we need to again fight this war of ideas and the best way to to fight the war of ideas is not through uh, fire and brimstone you know nobody nobody's convinced by being called an idiot right right when you call when you call somebody an idiot Hey, you're doing absolutely everything wrong. How could you not do that? You're not going to convince not, them to change, not right? Not going to be very so effective. We, we need to get back to the basics. We need to get back to being convincing and not just yelling at one another. And I think there's a way to get through this. We have a great foundation. We have a great bedrock in our Constitution, and we need to get back to that. Alan Thomas, this is just a, a great piece. Californian Federalist Number 2 will roll that out in the newsletter. So thank you for being here. And our quote for the end of the show is George Washington. And he said this, happiness depends upon the internal frame of a person's own mind than uh, the externals of the world. So my friends today, be grateful, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically. Strive for high ideals and like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. My friends, you are not alone. God bless you and God bless America. Stay tuned for hour number two. It's the Kim Munson Show, analyzing the most important stories. An early childhood taxing district, what on earth is that? The latest in politics and world affairs. I don't think that we should be passing legislation that is so complicated that people kind of throw up their hands and say, oh, I can't understand it. Today's current opinions and ideas. It is not fair that just because you're a big business that you get a break on this and the little guy doesn't. Is it freedom or is it force? Let's have a conversation. Indeed, let's have a conversation. Welcome to hour number two of the Kim Munson Show. Alan Thomas is staying in, in, over for the second hour. Great to have you. Great to be here, Kim. And uh, again, a great essay, Californian Federalist number two. We'll ro- roll that out in the newsletter this week, so be sure and sign up for that at the KimMunson.com website. You can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com. And thank you to all of you who support us. These great sponsors, do business with them uh, that are sponsoring the show. And also thank you for all of you who support us. We are an independent voice searching for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. Something's a good idea. You shouldn't have to force people to do it. And uh, check it. Well, I have to say thank you for joining us. You're all treasured. You're valued. You have purpose today. Strive for excellence. Take care of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your body. My friends, we were made for this historic time. And the team I work with, producer Steve, Producer Luke, Zach, Patty, Keith, Echo, Charlie, everybody here at Crawford Broadcasting. Everybody works really hard to bring this show to you Monday through Friday, 6 to 8 a.m. I'd like to meet those people someday. <laughs> I know. We all know each other well, but uh, uh, that's what's happening in 2020. we got to do that. We were going to do that, and I don't know what, what happened on that. But we need to meet there at Hooters Restaurants. That's what we'll, we'll get everybody oh. there because they've, they've been sponsors of the show for so long. What a great segue. <laughs> yes, Hooters Restaurants, five locations, Loveland, West, Westminster, Lone Tree, Colorado Springs, and 
Loveland, Aurora, Westminster, Colorado Springs, and Lone Tree. Laundry, where I live. <laughs> Very good. They have specials Monday through Friday uh, for lunch and for happy hour. And I guess, Alan, we just heard that football year-round, so I guess you could watch the Sea Dragons now you at whose restaurants you know, on those You big- and I, the March Madness is coming up pretty oh, quick. Oh, I do love March Madness. So, yeah, yeah. Your, your Kansas Jayhawks are doing pretty good, too. Yeah, yeah. It, it, rock Chalk Jayhawk. I... I I used to be a sports hound. I haven't had time because we're watching all the stuff that's happening in the world. Uh, so, again, yeah, it's an interesting story how they became sponsors of the show. It's a story about freedom and free markets and capitalism. And so you can take a look at that at my website. Alan, I, did I mention to you that I uh, was involved in a documentary? No. Yes. Um, Walt Johnson, Ramey Johnson's husband, it's been on his heart to do a documentary on an really an honest conversation about climate and uh, so we filmed it back in October and he brought in experts uh, Gregory Wrightstone from the East Coast with the CO2 coalition and then Ron Stein from uh, the West Coast and uh, then another expert um, in Canada that they had to do that uh, remotely and they put together this this it's a it's really a great documentary it's just about an hour and it was screened yesterday at the 15th Annual International Conference on Climate Change, uh, which is being sponsored by the Heartland Institute down in Orlando. And so I texted Ramey last night. I said, how did it go? And let me see if I can get right to it. Here she said, um, she said they got a standing ovation. She said, Colton, wow. the producer, is thrilled. People want discs. And uh, next week, we're going to go to work on pushing it out. So uh, they asked me to be the moderator on it. So it's a great honor. But uh, big, de- big deal yesterday. Yeah, that's fantastic, Kim. And it sounds like you're going to have to make a way for your listeners to be able to watch it. Uh, we're going to figure that out for sure. So our quote for today, we're going to be talking about George Washington with uh, Colonel Bill Rutledge here in just a few moments. Uh, our quote for the day. Oh, I did want to mention this. I forgot about this b- book. And it is a book that's been written for kids. It's called George Washington's Teeth. And it's by Deborah Chandra, um, Madeline Kamora, and Brock Cole. And uh, I actually, I need to get it. So I have it in my library. I've gotten it for, you know what? It's yep. because of uh, it's because Kim, of you that, yep, that I yep. have it. Keeland already got that for Baker. That was one of uh, Booked with Baker's books, first books. So. That's yeah, where I saw a, that. It's a clever little book, and it's pretty funny. Isn't that amazing how that connects that you're on the show? I just, it's a divine <laughs> wink. But, yes, I saw she had posted that. She was reading it. And so I got that for a birthday gift for, for um, one of my friends. Yeah, so. it's funny. And it, it's funny, too. It actually goes through the timeline of when he lost, when and how he lost all of his teeth. And so, you know, it's, you know, they make it fun for kids and clever of, oh, no, he just lost another tooth. But... <laughs> You know, it is interesting. George Washington's teeth were were terrible, and <sighs> and the things he had to do to to get around that his whole life was was interesting. And yeah, it's a fun little fun little book for for kids. Yeah, I I love that. And uh, at the back, they actually have a picture of his teeth, and it's not very appetizing. <laughs> no, no, we've we've made a, a long stride in the medical field for dental health. That that. Luckily, <laughs> when your mother says brush your teeth, brush your teeth. But <laughs> yeah. and that was they say that's one of the reasons why you don't see any um, things that were painted of him with it was smiling because he was so self-conscious about his teeth. He was very self-conscious about them. Yeah. 
but a, a great man. And uh, he's, he was, uh, call, he's called the father of our country. He was born in 1732 on February 22nd, died in 1799. He was the general uh, and commander-in-chief of our colonial armies and uh, subsequently was the president of the United States. He also, my understanding is the, he is the only six-star general that we have, but I bet we'll ask, we'll ask uh, Colonel Rutledge about that. But this is what you're doing. With your essays and being on the show, this is what we do every day. And he says this, truth will ultimately prevail where there are pains taken to bring it to light. And uh, so we do that every day. Um, so let's see. I, I, I'm really excited to get to, get to uh, Colonel Rutledge here in just a moment. Uh, but did want to mention the Roger Mangan State Farm Insurance Team. And the Roger Mangan State Farm Insurance Team wants you to feel safe and well-served and to understand your insurance coverage and know that their office will respond to your call or text 24 hours a day. For that 24-hour peace of mind, call Roger Mangan at 303-795-8855. Like a good neighbor, Roger Mangan's team is there. I can't believe I just scratched that car. Find my insurance card. Dude, what do you have in this glove box? Ew, are these socks dirty? Oh, forget about the socks. I need my insurance card. Just pull it up on the State Farm mobile app. But I can do that? Oh, hey, I can do that. Yep, it's called service. I can file a claim on here, too? Yeah, it's it's called service. Whoa, I can call my agent, too? It's called service. Award-winning realtor Karen Levine has nearly 30 years of experience with REMAX Alliance. As a director with the National Association of Realtors, Karen Levine works to protect private property rights. Karen Levine believes in homeownership. Because of Karen's love of dogs, Karen volunteers regularly with GRRR, Golden Retriever Rescue of the Rockies, helping Golden Retrievers find their forever homes. Call Karen Levine to help you buy or sell your home because she understands that it's more than just a house. Call award-winning realtor Karen Levine with REMAX Alliance today at 303-877-7516. That's 303-877-7516. You'd like to get in touch with one of the sponsors of The Kim Munson Show, but you can't remember their phone contact or website information. Find a full list of advertising partners on Kim's website, kimmunson.com. That's Kim, M-O-N-S-O-N, dot com. It's Friday. It is Friday, and welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. That is Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Sign up for our weekly email newsletter there, and you can email me at Kim at Kim Munson dot com. You want to be signed up for that newsletter. A lot of great information, but we will be rolling out this great essay by Alan Thomas, California and Federalist Number 2. Um, thrilled to have on the line with me Colonel Bill Rutledge, retired United States Air Force, 94 years young. He will be 95 this summer. And he really was the catalyst in getting Scott Powell on the show on Wednesday for George Washington's birthday. And of course, Scott Powell's written this great book, Rediscovering America, um, The Amazing Stories. I, I don't have the exact title, but how uh, our holidays tell the amazing story of our American country. I, I kind of butchered that, but it's Rediscovering America. Colonel Rutledge, welcome to the show. Good morning, Kim. And Alan Thomas is in studio, and uh, we are gonna, we're going to have to have at some point a big meeting where all, all the listeners and guests can meet each other, because so, I have a lot of people that want to meet you, Colonel, uh, Colonel Rutledge. Well, we'll have to do that just so it's not between 6 and 8 in the morning. <laughs> exactly right. I'm thinking later in the day. <laughs> but let's get right to it. George Washington, you wanted to talk about 
his military uh, career. So where do you want to start, Colonel Rutledge? Well, I think we need to start um, in 1753. Um, George Washington was um, just 21 years old, but he'd been out into the Appalachian area um, as a surveyor. And he traveled out there extensively, much more so than most people. And uh, the French had recently come down from Canada and established a military presence in the area which is now Pittsburgh at the confluence of the Ohio River um, where the Allegheny and Monongahela River combine. And uh, they had claimed that it was their territory, um, all this area west of the Appalachians. Um, they were going back all the way to some of the exploration uh, done a century before, which was pretty common in those days. You could just go down a river and pl- plant your flag and say, this is French or this is English. Um, so they did. That was their claim. However, the lieutenant governor of Virginia um, didn't feel that that was going to work out too well. So he he got a hold of George Washington, since he seemed to be the best traveled and the most knowledgeable person in that area. George was only 21 at the time. And uh, he asked him if he would deliver a letter to the commanding general, or this, uh, we'll assume it was a general, it could have been a colonel, uh, at the French post. So he took off in the winter, in the, uh, when it was very cold, um, of, of 1753, and he had a very small team. He didn't have other soldiers with him. It was a civilian uh, trip in order to deliver this message. And the message was to make it clear that the French were to leave, that they were intruding on British territory. And also a second uh, part of the mission was for George to try to uh, gain support from the Indian tribes in that area. So they went on their trip, and uh, he delivered the letter, and it was not well received. Um, The French commander uh, said, we're not leaving, and wrote another letter, and uh, that letter was carried back to the lieutenant governor, and uh, his name was Dinwiddie, very odd name, but that was who he was. So when the letter was brought back, um, George had maintained a journal and of, of all of his travel over and back in great detail. It was actually printed when he got back. He arrived back there in January of 1754. And uh, when the, the letter was read, uh, Lieutenant Governor was very irate and really basically was telling George, you've got to get ready take my reply letter back uh, in the near future. And in the meantime, they assembled the House of Burgesses, and George uh, presented his journal. It was so important that it was directed to be printed, and I actually have a copy of that. And it was circulated all through the colonies and all the way to England, explaining all the details 
but it was the first time that George had a public notoriety because of his writing, and he wrote an extremely good journal. So this was, this was the first leg of three trips that George was to take. Um, the second trip, of course, was to carry Dinwiddie's letter back again. But this time he took a few soldiers with him. And um, he was uh, promoted to the rank of major. Now he's 22 years old. And uh, so they went back. And this time they, the, the French knew that they were coming. So they came out to meet them, uh, not at the fort, but beyond the fort. And uh, the French were bringing uh, some correspondence from their commandant also. Well, what happened was that uh, there were two Indian tribes that were uh, allied to the English, and uh, they took the initiative to <laughs> to start a fight and ended up killing the French officer who was the courier bringing the, the letter from his commander. This created an unbelievable battle, and uh, it, although there were a few people, it was very bloody. It was, it was a horrible situation. Um, so then Washington goes back again and it explained what had happened. So the English were uh, very irate and decided that they were going to uh, go over there and they were going to, to take the French out, period. So uh, this took about a year in planning because they had to bring Redcoats, the army, um, all the way from England to have some force to go out there because the French in the meantime had been, it had been rumored that they had brought down at least a thousand soldiers and they had um, several tribes that were allied with them so that the French were in a position of strength and uh, the part that we hear of often in history was that this was commanded by General Braddock, and uh, this is true. So what happened was General Braddock um, had his own military staff, but he needed Washington to go as his guide. So Washington became an aide for General Braddock. And so in, in uh, 17... I mean, yeah, 1755, then they were on the road and going out there. Again, weather conditions were terrible, um, bad situation. So they came over in force. But this time, the French were really ready for them. And uh, the British still had in their minds that they were going to be able to fight like they could in Europe, where they'd have a front, um, they'd have their soldiers closely knit together and uh, do a frontal attack. They completely ignored the advice from Washington, where Washington said, that's not how the French and the Indians fight. They are going to be in the forest. They will come at you from all directions. And if you do what you're accustomed to, uh, you won't have a chance. Well, Braddock didn't listen to George. Hmm. So they did all meet together over in the area close to Pittsburgh. And uh, 
they were surrounded uh, and just about, I mean, it was almost a total wipeout. And one of the ironies is that Washington was with Braddock. Braddock was leading from the front. Uh, Braddock was a target, so he was badly wounded. And uh, Washington took him out of the immediate battle area to try to heal these wounds, but it was going to be fatal. Uh, so Washington, being right there in the front, uh, riding a horse, uh, he was a big target. I mean, he was over six feet tall. Uh, he was one of the biggest soldiers in at, in that era. And he... Um, they were trying to shoot him down. Uh, the Indians had made George one of their top targets, but George kept surviving, and he kept moving back. So he, he got the general back, and the general died. Um, so George decided that rather than have the, the Indians and the French capture his remains even and desecrate them, um, that he would bury the general right in the road path, which he did, and then cover it all up well so that the French and the Indians would not know where his body was. So this was done, and then they took a, a very quick retreat to get out of there and went on back to Williamsburg. So this was one trip, two trip, the third trip. And a lot of people kept saying, well, George Washington was the cause for the start of the French and Indian War. Well, this is not true. George went as a pioneer to find out, uh, to negotiate. And the war would not have started if the French had not come down and claimed that they were in possession of this land. And at that time, their, their claim was that they had the whole area of the Ohio, which was five times bigger than the whole state of Virginia, or colony of Virginia. So this sort of brings you up to date on what all transpired to prepare Washington so that by the end, after he was still 22 and he was a major, then after the third trip, then he was promoted to, to colonel in the militia for Virginia. And so this is where he gained recognition and military experience. So Colonel, important for later. Yeah. yeah. So Colonel Rutledge, maybe this is a good place to interject it, is that meeting with the Indian chief years and years later, and what he said about that battle. Well, he didn't talk too much about the battle after he'd written all these journals before, and then he wrote after action reports and things when he got back. So this was not in anything that I read. So it was not anything that he might have said concerning the French and Indian War would have been verbal. But the people in the colonies were very well informed about George Washington and what he had done. So when he, after these three trips there and all the action in the South, the British just sort of moved north. Um, they moved their actions against the French more up towards Canada. So George was sort of uh, a leader with some soldiers, but no place to fight. Uh, he did go out along the perimeter of Virginia, along the Appalachians, 
to help defend some of the villages. But he was more than anything else sort of a, a commander in reserve. And one of the problems that was encountered is that the British didn't have respect for people who were colonials. George Washington wanted to be incorporated into the British Army. He wanted to be commissioned as an officer in the British Army, but they wouldn't take him. He applied to two different uh, uh, generals that had come over from England. In both cases, he was ignored. But this was common. But this sort of helped create a, a chip on his shoulder as far as his attitude towards the British hmm. Army. Very, very interesting. Um, I, I think it's so important. I was thinking about the show and just how important it is that we hear this this history. And for some people, they m- might have never heard this, uh, these stories about George Washington. And we're, we're doing this because of... Uh, in, um, honor of his birthday of February 22nd. And we get to do this because of great sponsors. And one of those great sponsors is Three Points Financial. Three Points Financial, a comprehensive fee-only financial and tax-focused company, considers all the pieces of a client's financial life. There are no sales or commissions involved, and all advice is fiduciary, putting the client first. Mary Alpers and Steve Cruz, co-owners of Three Points Financial, Take time to work with you regarding decisions that affect your financial present and future. Whatever is happening in our world and with our economy, you have financial goals that matter. And Three Points Financial offers personal, real-time plans for savings, retirement, investments, and taxes, both tax efficiency and preparation. There is no better time than now to focus on your financial situation. If you are interested in learning more, contact 3pointsfinancial.com to schedule a no-obligation introductory call. What do Albert Einstein, Thomas Edison, and Nikola Tesla have in common? None of these men graduated from college, but each of them had enormous intellectual curiosity. Scientist Dr. James Lyons Weiler is creating a new kind of educational model for the busy, intellectually curious IPAC EDU. Classes are affordable and interactive and experts in each of their fields with courses in biology, philosophy, analytics, health and wellness, political science, chemistry, regenerative science and psychology. There is a spring 2023 course for you. Dash over to IPACEDU.org. IPAC-EDU.org for more information and to register. That's ipac-edu.org. It is Friday. Welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Website is kimmunson.com. You can email me at kim at kimmunson.com. Our text line is 720-605-0647. Alan Thomas is in studio. We have uh, Colonel Bill Rutledge on the phone. He is retired United States Air Force. We're talking about George Washington. So those three trips during starting the French and Indian War. Then what happens with George Washington, Bill Rutledge, Colonel Bill Rutledge? Well, um, the French and Indian War was continuing, and uh, George, in the late uh, 1750s, um, since he was not active in combat, then he um, met a young lady, and uh, Martha, and Martha Custis, was, uh, <clears throat> she was a young widow, who had inherited a lot of land and a lot of money <clears throat> and many slaves. 
<clears throat> so he and Martha were married in the late 1750s, and the war continued, of course, for seven years. So it it really wrapped up in about uh, 1760. Well, by this time, they were married, and he was expanding his control over properties that he owned, that he had inherited from his side, but more from Martha. So he became a planter and uh, a very wealthy man and was known throughout the area. And then he also became uh, a delegate who was elected to be active in the House of Burgesses, which was, of course, a colonial sort of a parallel of Congress, except it didn't have that sort of authority. It was more a referral group for the governor and the lieutenant governor that were appointed by the crown. So for the whole decade of the 60s, Washington was becoming a country gentleman and uh, was becoming better known. And um, that's the way this continued on up until things started happening happening in Massachusetts um, with the Sons of Liberty in the early 1770s that were precursors for the beginning of the American Revolution, which dates from the, from the 19th of April, 75. There's even a poem which we used to learn in high school, and it's a, um, about that time when Paul Revere made his ride. And so it really started when the British went out. They were going to Concord because there was a, a an armory where the colonial people had stored their powder, gunpowder things, and it was at Concord. To get to Concord, you had to go through Lexington. So they went up to Lexington, and that was the first armed conflict in the American Revolution was on the Lexington Greens. And I have been there, and I've been on the Concord. And uh, Colonel Rutledge, I just want to interject something there. Yes. Uh, so this really started the war with Britain, the war for independence, because the British were going to go and take um, basically ammunition, I think, uh, and and arms, uh, and the from from the um, colonists. And right. we're seeing the same thing down here at the state house, uh, but through public policy, trying to disarm everyday people. Um, I, I think it's important to make that correlation, Colonel Rutledge. There are there are many correlations uh, throughout our history um, that tie back to things, um, especially when the Americans wanted their own independence and they wanted to be free from somebody making a decision that affected their lives that was 3,000 miles away. So this had been working for quite a long time, and the British Parliament had done enough things that had upset uh, people, particularly up in the Boston area. So they're very, very active. So shortly after this, uh, well, after they were at Concord and Lexington, on their, on their march back, we're talking about the Redcoats, and they were going back, and then people just came sort of out of their farms and their houses and things, and they decided basically to fight back against the British using Indian style. So all along the road back to Boston, you had these Americans who were out in the, the woods and were shooting at the British. 
Well, the British had a lot of people killed and wounded by the time they got back to Boston. And General Howe, who was in charge of the, of the British forces, just decided to pull them back into Boston and realized that they could not go away from Boston because it was too dangerous. But then shortly thereafter, <clears throat> within the next few weeks, uh, there was an encounter there, which we've all heard about, which is a battle in Bunker Hill or Breed Hill. Um, it's better known as Bunker Hill. Well, the Americans had the high ground, but the British had the, the power. So the British uh, actually did their normal tactics, a big frontal attack, and they got terribly, they were shot up terribly. So they took the high ground, so they claimed victory. But as the general said, he said, we can't afford any more victories <laughs> like know. this I because we're losing, losing too many soldiers. Right. So they didn't have any more encounters in that spring of 1775. But they, then the siege began where the, the colonial people were then around the perimeter. And then the Continental Congress decided, well, we need a leader. So they selected George Washington um, based upon his experience and his leadership role. So he showed up in Cambridge, where Harvard, Harvard College is, in July of 1775. And he found a conglomerate of patriots, but they weren't well organized. So he started trying to get things organized. And uh, he'd only been there a few days when this young man came to talk to him. His name was Henry Knox. And um, he was 25 years old. Of course, George was then in his early 40s. But he said, well, what sort of background has Henry got? Well, Henry was, he ran a bookstore. And he read a lot of books about the military. So he was interested in doing something. Well, he came up with a novel idea. And he approached uh, Washington and said, well, Fort Ticonderoga was captured um, by the Green Mountain Boys from Virginia, I mean from Vermont, and uh, it has since been abandoned. But the fort's there, and all the big guns are there, the cannons and the mortars. And he said, I think that I could go and bring those back to Boston so that we could uh, get the British out of Boston. And Washington right away says, okay, you're in charge. <laughs> so he, he, he took off, he got all these people together. And, uh, of course, this was in July. They left in early November to go to Fort Ticonderoga. Um, before he left, though, he had already sent people forward to go out there and build sleds that he was going to put the big guns on. Can you believe that? And also to assemble some boats that they could use to go down uh, down the lake towards the river all the way back down to uh, the, the capital then of, of New York because it would quicker. Then they could go straight across back to Boston. Well, this is the dead in the middle of the winter, and water's freezing over. It's miserably cold. Can you imagine? And so no, nobody thought they could make it. And there were a couple of times when actually they dropped the, the cannon into the water, but they'd go in, 
and get it back up. In that freezing so, water? Can you believe it? Yeah, it was, it was unbelievable. But the irony is they, they were going to bring back approximately 75 cannon and mortars, and they, weigh, had, they weighed tons and tons. Well, they, had, they built 40 huge sleds, and they already, already had been prepared. So they were there when Knox got over there in early December. So they started assembling everything and then started moving back, and it, it took them a month to wow. move all this equipment back towards Boston. So they ended up back in Boston in the perimeter where the British didn't see it. They didn't know where they were. And all of a sudden, George is told, well, Mr. Knox has shown up uh, about 15 miles to the west of here, and he has a load of cannon. And he did. And so this, if he, if he had not gone and brought the cannon, the whole situation there would have probably been different. Because the general in charge of the Redcoats was also thinking about, why don't we just break out of this place? And we'll end this whole um, confrontation with these colonials, and we can go back home. No problem. This would be the end of the war. But when those cannons arrived, it was a new ball game. Well, and uh, the British, so they got the, the cannons up, uh, cannon up on t- uh, the the high ground, and when when um, General Howe saw that, it changed everything. Everything, and when the, what happened was General Howe came out one morning, and what it, Washington had given orders that they would prepare the foundations where they would put the the guns. So they did this at night, and then he said, "One night, we are going to move all cannons into position." So he did. And so this morning, uh, in, again in March of 1776, um, the, um, the general comes out and he looks and, and sees all these guns up there. And he, right away he realizes, uh, we can't stay here any longer because the guns were within range of Boston. And they had just overpowered the British presence. So that's when they started getting prepared for their exodus and to take the the, the civilian families who were loyal to the crown and put them on their ships and go to Halifax, Nova Scotia. And one of the themes that I hear, Colonel Rutledge, is the preparation where Knox, uh, you know, things were prepared by the time they got there, that the the bedrock for the uh, or bed for the cannons, that that was all prepared. I mean, they were always working and preparing, which I think is a, a big takeaway that people should should take away from these stories. Well, it's something that they didn't teach in, in our history books. Every once in a while, somebody might make a comment that, that cannon were, were brought from Ticonderoga to Boston. Well, it wasn't as like you're going to put them on a train. I mean, it sounds so simplistic, but it was an, a staggering challenging job and uh and actually when the british general saw all this he also surmised that it would have taken so many people to have brought these cannon online that he thought that the size of the continental army was much huger that he thought that that 
Washington might have as many as 20,000 troops. Okay. So, so this helped motivate him to go north. Okay, so a couple of things. Uh, we still have more to talk about with George Washington, and so we may not get to call-ins and text today because I think it's important that we hear the story. And uh, I'm talking with Colonel Bill Rutledge. He's 94 years old. He's traveled the world. He has this intellectual curiosity that uh, is just amazing. And uh, so I want to hear the rest of the story regarding George Washington and uh, his military career. The show comes to you because of great sponsors. Lauren Levy was in studio with Karen Levine this week. He is an expert in the mortgage arena. Inflation is rocking our boats, especially for individuals on fixed incomes. If you are 62 years or older, mortgage specialist with Polygon Financial Group, Lauren Levy, can help you navigate this inflation squeeze with a reverse mortgage. Additionally, if you are considering buying a new home, refinancing your existing home, or consolidating high interest debt, it's not too late to lock in an interest rate before interest rates increase again. Don't wait. Kim Munson recommends you call Lauren Levy today at 303-880-8881 for a no-cost consultation. That's Lauren Levy at 303-880-8881. Every family needs a healthcare team that has your child's best interest as the priority, and Roots Medical is proud to offer exactly that. At Roots Medical, we strive to empower and educate both parent and child about the importance of gut health, how to implement healthy changes in the home, and of course, all of the benefits that come with a fully optimized immune system. Same day and sickness appointments are available and easy to schedule. For more information, visit rootsmedical.net. That's R-O-O-T-S medical.net. Roots Medical, getting to the root of your healthcare concerns. Finding a firearm or training course can be intimidating for anyone, especially when you're new at it. Franktown has everything you need to get started or to improve with a firearm. Franktown is a family-friendly gun store and are invested in the success of their customers, no matter what your age, gender, or experience level is. Franktown sells firearms and ammo at or below MSRP, has an indoor range on site, and offers tactical and safety training. Franktown Firearms is always a safe and easygoing environment for all customers. Come to Franktown for a comfortable, no-pressure experience when shopping or learning about your firearm with approachable experts dedicated to your or development as the owner of a firearm. Franktown Firearms has everything you need to get started and or to improve on any background experience. Visit klzradio.com slash franktown to schedule your firearms training today or find more information at franktownfirearms.com. Franktown Firearms, where friends are made. It is Friday. Welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. That website's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Alan Thomas is in studio. We'll be rolling out his essay, California and Federalist Number 2. This is just fascinating, Alan, uh, what uh, Colonel Rutledge has, has been talking with us about. And it makes me think of the USMC Memorial Foundation because of this rich history of our military that has stood against tyranny, stood up against the bad guys. And we need to honor those that uh, have been willing to put their lives on the line or have put their have lost their lives for this great American idea. But uh, you can help them by going to USMCMemorialFoundation.org. That's USMCMemorialFoundation.org. But, Alan, here was a country gentleman. They try to paint him and the founders as these rich guys that just went to war for their own self-interests. In essence, he's putting it all on the line. The story is fascinating, Alan. It is, you know, and we need to remember that that all of the colonists were putting, you know, their lives, their fortunes, and sacred honor behind this. I mean, it was it was the ultimate act of insurrection, right? right. To 
to kill British forces. That was their government at the time. And this wasn't something that, that they just happened into and said, oh, I'm not happy with paying this many taxes. Like, you don't go to war for that. You don't put your life on the line just because of taxes. This went much deeper than that. It was tyranny. It was the monarchy. And it was, you know, Britain failing. That's the list of grievances at the uh, Declaration of Independence. Mm-hmm. So this this went much deeper than just money. And there's a, a lot of correlation between those usurpations in the Declaration and what's happening now. Colonel Bill Rutledge, fascinating. So let's continue on. Well, after the British had gone to Halifax, uh, Washington recognized that their next uh, area of power was going to be in New York City because of the size of the harbor and the 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 fact that the British had the biggest navy in the world. So he decided to move his forces towards New York. Um, So he did, and he moved. But as he moved them, he started losing soldiers because they actually would have agreements whereby they would only be in the Army for maybe 90 days or maybe until it was time to put in their their crops. Uh, So they started fading away. So he got down to Long Island, and his, he had uh, a fewer troops. Maybe he had 10,000. The number is, is very vague. But he was there, and he was hoping to be able to gain control of the property, well, not only Long Island, but what now is Manhattan. But he, he didn't have the forces, and he still had not gained enough experience in combat uh, against the best army in the world at that time. So over the next several months, and this is all the summer of 1776, he encountered the British in four major battles, and he lost them all. And, uh, but but he didn't give first, up. He didn't give up. But one of the first things that happened, first they lost Long Island. Then they were, they, their forces were on in Brooklyn. Well, the the... The river would run up so that they were able to bring the Navy up and bring guns upon Brooklyn, but they had he had his first experience where he later claimed divine providence. And this was when they were in Brooklyn, uh, they needed to get out of there, but they weren't sure how to do it. Well, suddenly there was a big northeaster um, that came through, when the winds were terrific, they were blowing against the British ships, so they couldn't sail up the river to give support to the army. Furthermore, they also had uh, dense fog that came along after that. You know, when you have a northeaster, you don't have fog, because I was raised on the beach in Florida. But following that, they had one one morning early when it was very dense, and they were able to move their troops and get them out of Brooklyn and get them up onto Manhattan. So they did that. So they lost Long Island. They lost Brooklyn. Now they're on Manhattan Island. They go up there and they again lose another battle. So then they go to White Plains, which is north of the city. And once more, they lose. And by this time, George finally wised up. He's got to get his troops on the other side of the Hudson River. So one evening, they uh, all of the, the the river was dominated 
by the Royal Navy. But one evening he assembled all the boats he could, all of his troops, and when it was dark and the British didn't have any knowledge, he was able to successfully get across. Um, by the time he got across, he only had about 2,000 troops. But he was hopeful to, to get into New Jersey and pick up more soldiers. So this was this was the summer of, of losing battles, and uh, it was a time of great discouragement. And so they got into New Jersey, and as they were marching to there, at the time, there there were more people in New Jersey who were who were loyal to the Crown than who were loyal to the the Continental Army. So it was not a pleasant trip to there. But nevertheless, he was being followed. That's an understatement. Okay. <laughs> he was being followed by the British. But then it, it was getting close to the to the winter time. So General Howe decided, I'm not going to go all the way to Philadelphia to, to winter my troops. I've got great places in New York. So he just went back to New York and let Washington go on down, cross over the Delaware, get into the Pennsylvania area. And he thought, that's fine. Now, what we'll do, we'll put some of these Hessians, which are German um, soldiers, and we'll put them right at the crossing at Trenton so that Washington can't come back. So it looked like everything was set for the winter. There would be no more fighting. Well, Washington realized that he needed to do something for the initiative, for the morale of the people, and to try to turn things around. This is when we had the famous battle on Christmas night at Trenton, and that was a staggering logistic problem. He had to divide his army up into three pieces. One was south, one was north, and one was to go straight into Trenton. Well, the river was so clogged with ice and so cold that the ship, the, the part of the army that was on the south end, it was the largest segment, but it couldn't get across the river. They tried, they started, they had to back up, forget it. Then the ones in the middle, it was, again, even worse, so they never even started. They stayed there. Well, Washington didn't know. He was up north. So he made it across, and we've all seen the pictures that were painted later of him crossing and standing in the bow mm -hmm. of the boat as they came across. Well, they did, and they got up there, and there was about 9 or 10 miles north of Trenton where they landed. Well, the Hessians, in spite of people saying it was Christmas night and they're all drunk and they weren't on, That's what I've they heard. Weren't on patrol, wrong. It wasn't true at all. They had their guards out. But, again, one of these divine providences came along. What they had, they had hail, and then they had a huge blizzard. And it was miserable, but it was blowing so much that the guards out in the, uh, on the perimeter, they couldn't even see. They didn't know what was going on. So the army was marching through this terrible, terrible weather, and, um, and some of them so didn't they, have coats or pants no, they, or shoes. They didn't. It was, it, it's so primitive, it's, it's impossible to envision what they were up against. But what they did, they got to the point where they had a, a little bit of a high ground elevation. And, but the big thing was surprise. 
because they got to the edge of the city and they put their guns in place so they could shoot straight down the street to where the barracks and things were. And they got in position before the Haitians could get their get out and get man their guns. So they had the initiative, and uh, actually the Haitian commander, who was a very, very good commander, German, he came out very quickly to lead his troops, but he got a mortal wound and he he died uh, during the day. So they captured all of these. Um, these Haitian soldiers who were there, and they were being paid by the King of England. Um, there were several thousand that they hired to come over as being mercenary soldiers. So that was a great victory that night. So there was an assumption by the British that this was sort of an end of action for the winter. Well, Washington moved on further into New Jersey, and he saw that the British had a concentration down near Princeton, where Princeton University is now. And so he took the initiative, um, and then no one expected that. And Washington was leading from the front on his horse, and so he was a huge target. But they they overcame the British. They had uh, It was a very bloody battle, uh, but they prevailed. And again... We'd had the divine providence, he talked about, to get him down to where he could win in Trenton. And the divine providence this time was that George had bullet holes all through his his coat and uh, his hat after the battle was over, and yet he didn't have a scratch on his body. Uh, he This happened to him time after time, it, it, dating all the way back to the, the French and Indian War where the sachem, who was like a, the uh, uh, the Indian, I can't remember the exact proper, proper mm-hmm. name, but, but he was called a sachem. Anyhow, he was a, the medicine man. And it, he just told the people, uh, this man is blessed. He didn't say, I don't know how he said it in, in Indian, but nevertheless, he told them, you tried, you've done everything, and he's, he's living. So... He was held in great awe by being able to to lead his men in combat in the front and never die because they were all shooting at him. So Colonel Rutledge sort of ended that sort of ended the confrontation. Well, I Colonel Rutledge, I so appreciate you sharing this with our listeners today. Thank you, Colonel Rutledge. Well, it's a pleasure. And uh, Alan Thomas, did you learn anything? Oh, I learned so much. I need to start studying up on Washington myself. Yeah, and divine providence. And that's where I take great hope in where we are today. We are in a 1775 moment, but there's a remnant of people that stood then and a remnant that's standing now and shedding light on all this. So it's always a treat to have you in studio, Uh, Alan Thomas. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Kim. And George Washington said this, uh, Happiness depends more upon the internal frame of a person's own mind than on the externals in the world. It's attitude. You didn't give up. I, I can't imagine. So my friends today, be grateful, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals, and like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. My friends, you are not alone. We stand on the shoulders of giants. God bless you, and God bless America. As it fears, through the rain and 
cry. 